morning. Good morning. That was encouraging. I like to be encouraged. Actually, to be honest, I don't really love to be encouraged. Um, so funny, sometimes Esther will get a dream or like a word or something, and uh, I'll be like, what does that mean? You know, because I want to know what God wants us to do. You know, should we, you know, do this or do that or go here or not go there or whatever. And uh, and she's like, no, it's just, God's just encouraging us. I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay, then. Would rather have some instructions, but I'm just kidding. Being encouraged is good. All right. Luke chapter 12 uh, is where we'll start today. Good morning, everybody. Can you believe that it's September already? Yeah. I sure can't. You guys are getting older. But as for me, and I'm just kidding, our uh, age differential remains the same, unfortunately. All right, Luke chapter 12, and then if you would also just grab Matthew 24 while you're at it, I'm going to be around a little bit today, moving about here and there. All right. Okay, you ready? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We uh, cherish you and we worship you. And we pray, Lord, that you would that you would help us. That you would help us to approach you today. And that you would help us to come before you rightly and that you would help us, God, to steward our hearts. And that you would help us, God, to allow ourselves to be molded and shaped by you. Not driven, Lord, by uh, whatever ideology we have, whatever ways we like to justify our lives. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to humble ourselves and to come before you asking, God, that you would make us like you. And any intentions of our heart, any part of our will, any emotions that we have, any thought patterns or arguments or opinions. Father, I pray that we would just lay them at your feet and allow us, Lord, to become like you. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Fill us, God, with your Holy Spirit today. Fill us with your thoughts and your desires and your intentions and your hopes. Thank you, Jesus. I would cherish you, Jesus, and pray, Lord, that you would increase in us. And in those that are joining us online today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Luke chapter 12. Starting in 35, be dressed, oh, nope, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from wedding feast so they may open the door at once to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Good. 
Um, thank you, Jesus. Awfully thirsty today. Um, I want to talk about being a servant. Uh, which is a very difficult topic, I think, for some of us, because um, from the time that I was young anyway, uh, and this is not just in church, but this was kind of everywhere, especially in school, um, we were taught that it was better to be a leader. Not better, that's not what people said. But the idea and the focus was on being a leader and not really being a servant. And there's something very American about um, valuing leadership a, a very great deal. Um, and so it's almost inescapable, I think, if you're American, and if you grew up in America, that, that you would think that being a leader is really important and really valuable. And um, and, and unfortunately, well, fortunate, for, for leadership is a very important skill, and it's a gift, actually, in the body of Christ, which we're going to see later. Um, but, uh, but being a servant is... Um, uh, is is uh, there's something really beautiful about it that I think if you were to think about it more and appreciate and understand what it means, I think you'd want to be a servant more than you probably currently do. Listen, if you are like me at all, uh, you know enough, you've read the Bible enough and you know enough about God and Christianity and blah, 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 that you know that you're supposed to be a servant, but you would much rather be a leader. And if being a servant is part of, you know, kind of the Christian experience, and you've got to do it because you've got to be like Jesus, then you're willing to do it a little bit. But what you'd rather be is a leader. You'd rather people listen to you and you have responsibility for things and be important and an influencer uh, and, um, and, and those sort of things. And you're kind of willing to be a servant if you have to. And so, you know, serve the least amount necessary to lead the most amount possible, you know, it's, it's kind of the way that, that we, um, kind of the way that we think about it. And uh, most of us are not willing to admit that, um, but I think uh, in general that's, that's the way that we feel. We are willing to kind of pay the price, uh, you know, of doing the nitty-gritty stuff in order to um, truly be somebody, you know, as soon as possible, preferably before we turn 30, um, but, uh, but certainly before we turn 40. And, um, do you know, uh, but uh, but that, that's not really the way the Bible thinks about it. And I think very often um, the reason that that is uh, uh, um, is because uh, some of our values are very bizarre. Um, we value things that God doesn't value. When I was a kid, um, uh, it, I, uh, the Enron scandal was like a very big thing. I think when I was in, uh, when I was in middle school. I don't know if you know uh, what that is. Uh, you're probably too young. Some of you may not even have been born. Actually, no, I think you were all born. Um, uh, maybe, you, I think you were all born. Um, but uh, um, about 20 years ago, there was a major scandal, big company named Enron, a bunch of people that were very rich. It ended up being a scam, and uh, the company went bankrupt, and a lot of people lost their jobs. And because we lived in Houston at the time, there were a lot of Enron employees that were in Houston. So um, I, I had friends whose parents lost their jobs. And... Uh, and my dad, I remember, um, we were driving to church or back from church one day, and he, and he said to me, um, the, the Enron people, especially the, the executives there, were very wealthy, hundreds of millions of dollars, paychecks, kind of, kind of wealthy. And, and, and my dad um, said to me one day, um, and he said, don't you ever think that being rich is worth any, if it? I'm paraphrasing, but, but do his, you know, say, don't you ever think that like, being rich and successful is worth something? You know, look at those Enron people. I'd much rather you be poor. 
and be right before God than be like one of them. And I, I, this was before I could like think, you know, I was like, I was, I don't know, like sixth grade or something like that. And I was like, well, okay, I just took that in the back of my, <laughs> do you know, but, but really the objective in life is, we all know, to be rich and to be, you know, to be famous, not, not to, not to not be, you know, not to be a good, poor person. There's no value in that. What you want is to be a rich person, good or bad. You want to be a rich person you want to be a CEO of something, do you know? And the reason we think that is because um, of the way that our, our, our thoughts have been shaped into thinking that wealth and beauty and charisma and influence are things that are value and we admire people that have those things. And part of the difficulty of convincing Christians, honestly, that, that being a servant is better than being a leader is because we don't see the beauty in serving. Uh, it actually, um, it, I think it takes a while, it takes a good amount of spiritual maturity to look at a servant, someone who serves very well and want to be like them. Uh, yesterday, I was flying back from Mexico. I was up there doing research. <laughs> Anyways, I was doing research, and, um, and I was flying back, and I was um, I was in the airport, and uh, and I had to use the restroom, and um, as one does in the airport, and um, and there was a man there whose his full time job was to uh, was to clean the bathroom uh, in in that airport. And there's a stream of tourists that come through that airport, and most of them are not very nice and um, uh, 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 a little TMI. But um, in the men's bathroom, um, the, the, it, sometimes people miss. Let's just put it that way. And it's not a particularly fun job. And um, and um, the way their faucets are designed, water runs all over the sink. Uh, they're just not very well designed faucets. And 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 the uh, uh, paper towel, um, used paper towel bin is overflowing. And his full-time job. I, I went to that bathroom several times. Anyways, and he was always there. Like his full-time job was to be stationed at the bathroom. And if he wasn't um, uh, wiping the floor um, around the urinals or cleaning out the toilet, um, he was, uh, you know, at the sink or he was clearing out the. And that, that was his that was his full-time job. And he was just, he was a middle-aged, you know, Mexican man. Um, and uh, um, and there, most of us, um, first of all, it takes a while for uh, as a Christian uh, growing in spiritual maturity to even appreciate people like that. It takes a while to even offer them the dignity of a normal, like just normal human dignity, do you know? And it takes a lot longer, I think, or at least it took me a lot longer, maybe you get there much faster, to be able to look at someone like that who's just faithful and diligent and honestly, I don't think he dreams of being the CEO of a major company. I, I don't think he dreams of being a billionaire, do you know? I, I, like, I, I think he's fairly content to just do his job eight hours a day in that bathroom and, and you know, make money and, and just feed his family. Like, I think that's, that's, he's very content with that, you know? And it, it, honestly, it takes a long time, first of all, to just see that person as being of equal value to someone like you that makes, you know, six figures a year. And second, I think it, it takes probably even longer to look at someone that and actually admire who they are. Not just in God. I'm not just talking about their spiritual value, <laughs> uh, which is which is you know whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm talking about like the actual human value and to admire who they are and want to be like that person. And the reason that it's difficult is because we don't necessarily see the beauty of it. It takes a long time to actually for for for. Honestly, for us, because we're American. Honestly, I think this is part of the the, the American system uh, and Canadian. 
Um, it's, but it's uh, all wealthy countries. But it's, it's part of um, just, it just, it's difficult for us. And because it's difficult for us, when it comes to uh, ser- being a servant in the Christian context, we may pay a lot of lip service to it, but I, I don't think that we actually enjoy doing it. And one of the signs that we don't actually enjoy doing it is that we don't invest a lot of effort in figuring out how to do it well. When I was a student, um, uh, all of our leaders were called servants. They were not. They were leaders. And there's, there's, leaders are not servants. And servants are not leaders. They're actually um, opposites, as one would have it. And, and it's just like saying left-handed people are right-handed. Like, they're just not, you know. Um, leaders are not servants. But, but because it sounds nice, you know, you call them servants. And that's very misleading, actually. And it, it, makes, um, it makes it very difficult for people to learn how to be servants if you think that being a servant is a leader. Eh? But furthermore, furthermore, you're deluding yourself. You're thinking that, you know, that when you're leading people, you're serving them. Like, that's not, that's not correct. And because um, we misidentify and things of that nature, people don't really learn how to be good servants. And so that's what I, that's what I really want to talk about. I want, I, want to, I want to convey to you something which is um, hard to convey, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. And really, I, I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit does it, because this is not the sort of thing that you can just convince somebody of. Okay, Being a good servant is much harder than being a good leader. That was number one for anyone that's on podcasting but not watching the video. Right? That's number one. It's number one. Being a good servant is much more difficult than being a good leader. If you think that being a leader is hard and being a servant is easy, you may not admire people that are good servants. But being a good servant is extremely, extremely difficult. It, 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 it's excruciatingly difficult. And number two, it's being a good servant that allows you to be close to the master. It's not being a good leader. A proximity to the master, who is God, does not depend on your leadership abilities. It depends on your servanthood ability. It depends on his evaluation of you, not as a leader. It depends on his evaluation of you as a servant. All of the apostles, I think, to the man, called themselves servants of Jesus Christ. Not a, I mean, they, some of them called themselves apostles because they were, but they all called themselves servants of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them, every single, like down to the last man, great leader, a uh, 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 biblical leader, was actually also a great servant and considered themselves servants first before leaders, actually. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Simeon Peter, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Simon Peter, comma, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, comma, who, by the way, was half-brother of Jesus, a servant of Jesus Christ. James, comma, servant of Jesus Christ. Every single one, of, all of these guys, every single one of them, every single one of them an apostle, and every single one of them introducing themselves, considering themselves, introdu- it was the apostle. No, <laughs> none of these guys put apostle in their business card, even though they were. Simon Peter, comma, servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's not, and, and the reason that they put it first is not, this is not like a, um, this is not like putting lip soak on a pig, you understand? It, it's not saying it because we think we're supposed to say it be, of, be, out of some religious pretense. It's because they genuinely understood the value of being a servant of God and being considered a good servant of God. 
say, dress for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third he, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The, the, the attribute of a servant that is worthy of recognition in this parable, and Jesus tells uh, a few different parables about being, being a servant, uh, but the, the attribute of recognition in this parable that Jesus is saying that makes a servant worthy of, of that, ma- that makes a servant worthy of recognition from his master, he said he is always and constantly paying attention. Um, how many of you work at a company for a boss? Like there's somebody over you. You have to raise your hands. I, I know who you are. Okay. You work at a company and there's somebody ov- over you. Just, just, yes? That's most of you, right? Okay. Um, once in a while you have meetings, right? Uh, and you're not the most senior person at those meetings. Typically there's other people that are more senior than you at those meetings. Okay. Is a meeting run on your time or their time? It's run on their time. If they have a conflict, guess what they do? They push the meeting. If you have a conflict, guess what happens? You push a conflict. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like yes or no? Okay. So when you're a leader, everything runs on your time or, or your priorities. And if you come to the meeting, the meeting has agendas, and, and your manager says, actually, I, yeah, we have an agenda. We have to go through five things. But really, I'm okay with four of those. I really just need to talk about number five. I didn't talk about number three. Guess what everybody does? Like, no, the meeting says, no, 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 no. You just talk about number five, unless you want to be fired. <laughs> like, you just talk about number five. And, and so everything revolves around the leader, right? And, and all the servants, they have to uh, revolve their entire, their attention and their, their, like, everything revolves around the leader, right? Your time, your, your efforts, your attention, like, what, it revolves around the leader, right? So is it harder to be a servant or to be a leader? Well, the leader's job is to pick the things that, are, that you're supposed to focus on, to have the vision to, to, to know what you're supposed to focus on and how you're supposed to do it, and also to manage everybody's time so that, so that you're putting everybody to good use. But the servant's job, what, is to stay dressed for action, as Jesus says here, is to always be ready. If your manager says, well, the meeting is at three, but really I have time now, let's meet now, then your job is to be ready at two, to meet. And that's harder, actually, than being the person that says, you know, I'm at three, I'm not really ready. Let's just push this into five, which a leader can do. Like your, you know, your manager has the right to do that if, if, if they're the ones sitting in your meeting, right? And so is it easier or is it harder to be a servant? It's much harder, is it not? Like it's much harder. It requires much greater attentiveness, much greater diligence, much greater uh, attention to detail, a much greater capacity to, um, to, 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 to do what you're supposed to do like at all times. Like it's, it's not easier to be a uh, It's not easier to be a servant than to be a leader. It is much more difficult actually to be a servant than to be a leader. If you grew up and, and like, w- like when I was in college, I was told that the people that brought chips to large group were the servants that week. That's nonsense. <laughs> Like, like th- that's, that is not at all the picture of what a servant is, at least in the Bible. A servant is someone who's emptied themselves of all their intentions, all their will, all their ideas, all their, and expended the fullness of their attention and efforts and diligence and intelligence and wisdom and knowledge to fulfill somebody else's desire, somebody else's plan, somebody else's timeline, somebody else's narrative, somebody else's storyline, somebody else's hopes. That's what a servant is. And it's much more difficult to be a servant than it is to be a leader where you get to shape the agenda, you get to decide the narrative, you get to do, like, that's not, that, that's not hard. Uh, 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 
necessarily in, in certain attributes. I mean, there's value to that too, but, but, but it's really difficult actually to do what it is that Jesus is talking about here. You see, the test of a servant is whether or not he's always ready when the master might come calling. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Do you know those servants were waiting diligently for their master to come home? They were, waiting, they were sitting by the phone waiting for, him to, waiting for him to call. You know, they were sitting by the door waiting for him to ring the bell. They were not on the toilet for half an hour while he was trying to reach them. Or TikToking. Like they were ready. Like it, it, it's not at all the way that, um, I don't know if you live in a, 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 a building with a doorman or go to an office where there's like, you know, there's, there's security. For Most of the time they're on their phones these days. And, and I mean, a thief could roll right by. And I think most of the time they wouldn't even know because they're just, the other day I was, um, walk, I, I was, I was driving by a, re a restaurant, a really fancy restaurant in the city that had bouncers. Um, and in the old days, the bouncers would be paying attention, you know, ready to, to what's the verb here? Bounce? People, I mean, is that what you do? Is that what a bouncer does, is bounce people? Okay, so in the old days, you have bouncers there. They're ready to, like, this is a fancy restaurant where rich people go to, right? And, and you're ready to bounce. This guy, I mean, he had the physique of a bouncer. You know, you couldn't, you, you know. But he was like, I don't know, the door was over here. He was all like, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he wasn't ready. This is, that's not just, that's just not what you do. Like, I mean, I mean it, it, being a servant is not a standing where you're supposed to stand and get paid where you're supposed to get paid. Being a servant is where you're ready always for your master. You're always ready for the people that you're serving. You're paying attention to their needs, to their desires, and, and ready to facilitate whatever it is that they want to facilitate. It's much more difficult than being the guy that shows up for someone else to open the door for you. Like, that's easy. God don't need any, like, you don't need any special abilities to show up for someone else to roll the red carpet out to you. It, it requires a very, like, a very specific, like, skill set to be the one that is always ready to serve. Do you know? The, the primary attribute that Jesus points out here is not like their great intellect. It's not, um, it, you know, it's not their great decision-making ability. It's not their great risk-taking ability. It's not their ability to assess you know, all the different factors to make a decision. It's about the fact that they have a very specific job servants do, and they are paying attention to do that job. That's all that he requires of them. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he, uh, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Why does the master flip the tables around when he finds a servant who is awake and attentive? Because a servant that is awake and attentive is a very rare thing. And because it's a very rare thing, it's a very valuable thing. Spouting your opinion about what is best is not valuable, nor is it rare, because it's really easy to do. What is very difficult to do is to be like these guys. If the guy, if the master comes back at 3 a.m., he's ready. If the master comes back at 3.35, he's ready. If the master comes back at 6, he's ready. If the master doesn't have to knock five times. As soon as he knocks, the door is open because a servant is there and he is ready at paying attention. And this is so impressive, Jesus. This skill is so impressive that the master says, you sit down, I will serve you because I'm so impressed by what a great servant you are. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds him awake, blessed are those servants. In other words, the second and the third watches are the, are the, the, the middle of the night, the, the times where people are most likely to be asleep. 
And Jesus says that if he comes during that period when most people are most likely to be asleep and he finds awake, in other words, if, if, if the master tests you by showing up when you least expect him to and he finds you paying attention to him, all those servants, those are the best servants. And, and Jesus said, blessed are those servants. Because God, the master, is going to be so impressed at that. Blessed are those servants. A few years ago, there was a guy that was, um, well, he was a cruise reviewer. Again, sometimes I do research. And he's, um, he's, he's, a, he's an avid cruise writer. He's, he's been in the, um, in the cruise industry. He's a cruise journalist. And you probably didn't even know those things exist. But he has one. And he's, he's, he's written about cruising for you know, all, the major public, um, all the major travel publications. And, um, and he, was, he was talking about um, uh, Crystal Cruises, which at the time was um, widely considered by many to be the best cruise line in the world. And he was trying to describe, he was trying to, he was describing why it was better. Because there are lots of five-star cruise lines. There's lots of cruise lines where you pay uh, uh, $1,000 a day to, to be on their ships, right? Which is a lot. And, and he was, and, but, but among the, the, the sophisticated cruising class, which you and I are not a part of, or maybe you may be, I don't know. But among the sophisticated cruising class, he, he, uh, uh, everybody thought that Crystal was best. And, and he was trying to describe why Crystal was the best and why people thought that it was best. And he said, I'm just going to relay one story to you. I said one morning, so I'm getting up on, on Crystal, uh, is uh, one of their ships. Crystal, by the way, went bankrupt. Anyways, you're not interested. But, but he said one morning he's getting up, and um, he, uh, it's, it's early in the morning, first day of the cruise. And, uh, and um, he goes to the cafe in the morning for, uh, for coffee, because his, his routine is you get up, you get your newspaper, you go and get a cup of coffee, very old fashioned. <laughs> you go get your cup of coffee, watch the sunrise, and you, um, and you just, you know, and then you go have breakfast later. So that was his routine. So he gets up, and he's on the cruise, and, and he, uh, he goes to the cafe, and, and the, the waiter uh, greets him, and, and he sits down, and he, the waiter, what would you like to drink? And, uh, and um, it's about, I don't know, like, 6.45, something, it's pretty early in the morning. I, I don't know exactly what time it is. And, uh, and, and he sits, uh, uh, you know, on this, this, I don't know, 20, 25 tables, something like that. And he sits down and, um, and he says, I'm gonna order a, uh, some very special drink, you know, cappuccino with some, some, some you know, whatever. Some, some, something, this is very specific. And, um, and, and waiter says, no problem. And um, so he sits down and, and gets a drink and uh, waiter makes a drink, brings it over. It's absolutely delicious. And, um, and, and he sips his coffee and, and uh, reads his newspaper, and then he's done, and, and he leaves and goes on his breakfast, and he, and he just goes about his day. And the next day, he uh, repeats his routine as he gets up, um, and, uh, and about you know, 6.30, 6.45, around the same time, and, uh, and, and he walks over to that cafe. And um, before he gets to the cafe, the, 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 um, the moment that he arrives, without saying anything, um, the drink that he ordered yesterday is waiting for him at the chair that he sat in yesterday. And it happens again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And one day, I think he's like, you know, 10 minutes late, and the guy remembers him. He remembers the chair that he sat in, and he remembers the drink that he ordered, along with all the customizations. And, um, and he said, this kind of service is, number one, extraordinarily difficult to train. Very difficult to train. And number two, you don't get this just because you pay $1,000 a day to be somewhere. It, because 
it, it's not that the beds are the softest or the linens are, you know, whatever. It's not that it's a thousand count Egyptian cotton. It's not that the mattresses are $5,000 each. It's not that the, the bathrooms are made of marble. Those things you can pay for, you can buy that with money. But service of this caliber, and that's just one example of the way the entire cruise line operates, service of this caliber, and, and it's across different waiters, it's across different people, across different ships, like, uh, like service of this caliber is not something that you get just because you pay a lot of money for it. Service of this caliber requires people that are extraordinarily dedicated to serving as, as a career. That, that is, they're not there doing this job hoping to be promoted to manager. They're not there doing this job until they make it as an actor. You know, they're not there doing this job. Like, you know, like, it, it's not like that. This is their entire, the ex entire existence of these people. They hope to be at this cruise line for their entire career. Um, and, and every single day of their life, they wake up, they're trained, they work together as a team, they're shaped this way uh, to, to provide the best service. And that's like, that's all they think about. All they think about is how do I serve our guests? And, and, and when you find the right people with that level of devotion, with no greater hope than serving their, their guests the best of their ability, then maybe you can produce this type of service. Otherwise, you can't. And a lot of what we call in the Christian life service is not actually that. It's, it's people that put in half-hearted efforts to do the least amount possible to not flunk out, to not get kicked out, to not you know, be looked down upon so that we can move on to something that's greater. Because what we're really hoping for is not to be a servant forever. What we're hoping for is to be a leader soon, is to be recognized soon, is to be in front of the spotlight soon. But what God is looking for, I think, is people who are content permanently and forever to serve. Whether it's him or it's the people that he's put us in front of. Permanently and forever with no desire to hold a microphone, with no desire to be seen, with no desire to write a book that sells a million copies. Like, like to just be content, entirely content, forever and ever and ever serving. And if you can adopt that mindset, it'll actually make you a servant. Otherwise, you, you, honestly, you're just like the person working at Starbucks hoping to make it you know, as an actor. You, there's no way you're going to be a good barista. You're never going to be because your heart's not in it, because you're looking for something else. You're looking for the promotion because you think that there is a promotion. But being a servant is the highest form of, 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 of um, identity in the kingdom. Do you know that David was a king? Like literally a king. He's literally king in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you, this will probably already be obvious to you. When you read the Psalms, David talks about himself in two ways. He talks about himself in the first person, and he talks about himself, I think, in the second person. I don't think he talks about himself in the third person. I could be wrong. But in the first person, he just says me. Easy enough. In the second person, though, when he's talking about the way that God sees David, he's talking about himself from God's perspective. He all, I think, I think always, perhaps not always. Oh, no, sorry. He does talk about himself in the third person. He says the king sometimes when he's talking about himself. But in the second person, when he talks about himself, he always says, your servant, O Lord. Dozens of times. He doesn't say, you're king, O Lord. Like, you know, you're anointed, O God. The one that you've put your spirit upon. You know, the chosen man of the hour. He doesn't say that. He says, says me sometimes, like when he's talking about, but when he's, when, he's, when he's talking about himself from God's perspective, he says, look upon your servant, O Lord. 
Like, you know, things of that statement. That's that type of statement over and over and over and over again. It's, it's not, he's not faking it. Like, you, you understand? Like, at some point, you have to realize, he's not faking it. This is not to, like, you know, make a good song. This is the way that he sees himself before the Lord. And he understands that when God looks at him, what he, what he wants God to see is not a man on a throne, is not a man with great promises. He wants God to see himself as a good servant towards God. That's his desire. And he recognizes that the greatest thing a man could be in this life is not a king. The greatest thing a man could be in this life is to be chosen by God to serve him. Psalm 84, you know these verses. It is better, it is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 84, 10 or 11, something like that. It is better. I prefer it. It's much better. I would much rather be the servant in the house, Lord, not in the room where it happens, outside the room where it's happening, but have the opportunity to be the person that's holding the door for the people that, that are really, you know, the important people, the ones that are a part of, you know, whatever's going on in the house of the Lord. I would much rather be the one serving whatever is happening in the house of God than be the one that is in the middle of whatever is going on in the, in the tents of wickedness. Does that make any sense? But we don't prefer that. We'd rather be the one that, that all the TikTokers are looking at. <laughs> like, do you know? Like, we'd rather be the one that people are paying attention to, the one that, whose words people care about, the one who people follow in, and we give them an assignment and they do it, you know? Like, we ask for money and they give it. Like, it, it's not, but, but the, he says, that's not his preference. His preference is to be a servant in the house of God because he considers that genuinely and truly to be better than the middle of the action apart from God. Apart from God. The reward for being a good servant, as you found in Luke chapter 12, which we just read, the reward for being a good servant is absolutely ridiculous. Could you, like, this may be the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life, okay? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay, the ridiculous reward of being a good servant is that God turns around and serves you. God says, and what coffee may I make for you today? And you're just like, this is... I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, like this is, it's weird and it's bizarre. It, it's, that is the, the um, in other words, the reward for being a good servant is a, um, how does one say this? Like a friendship, it, it's, it's, it's a relationship with both dynamics. Do you understand? Where you get to sit on both sides of the table. And, and that's nuts. That, that's nuts because, listen, the reward for being a good leader is that you get to be a bigger leader. You do well with one talent, God gives you another. You do well with 10 talents, you get 12. Like you, you do well with one city, you get 10 cities. You, the quantity changes, the quality doesn't change. How much time do I have? This is, this is not sinking in that well. The, the, the reward for being a good leader is that you get to lead more. The reward for being a good servant is that you be, get to be close to your master. The reward is of a different quality than what it is that you offered. The reward for being a good leader is the same quality. It's a different quantity than what it is that you offered. So your choice is, do I want more quantity or do I want something of a different quality? As we've said so many times in this church, when it comes to a choice between quality and quantity, you should always choose quality. 
Like, it's just stupid for a man to choose quantity over quality. And yet, very clearly, that's, that's the choice that you get in the Bible. The choice you get in the Bible is that if you're faithful one talent, you get another. And there are so many people that look at that parable and be like, yes, a thousand par- a talents, a million talents. What will you do with a million? What will you do with a million cities under your, ca- like, what, why, why, what, what do you want from that? Like, I mean, okay, fine, have it. You know, you know but, but being a good servant is totally different. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. There's something about being a servant where the, a servant is a a journey that allows you to undertake a qualitative change. You go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. You know, you go from being a slave in the house of God to being a son in the house of God. That's what um, Proverbs, uh, proverb of the day. <laughs> That's what Proverbs, I think, seventeen two says. Proverbs seventeen two. Let's see here. Yes, a servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. A servant who deals wisely will eventually share the inheritance with the brothers. Wait a minute. That sounds like the New Testament promises that God has made for us. Hello. A servant in the house of God who deals wisely with the things of God will share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, who is the only rightful heir of God. But you can become an heir of God by being a good servant of God. You'll never become an heir of God by being a famous whatever, whatever, whatever. Do you know? Irrelevant. What makes us heirs of God is being a good servant of God. And what makes you a good servant of God is that you're always paying attention and ex- expending the fullness of your efforts, the fullness of your brain power, all of your attention, all of your devotion to figure out how to serve well. When you are a servant, you're not trying to change your master's opinion. You're trying to effectuate his opinion. When you are a servant, you're not trying to tell the guy that ordered a mocha that actually chocolate is bad for you and you should really have a, like a, a, just an espresso over ice. You know, like it's not, that's not your job. Is that your job? It's not your job. Your job is to say, ice mocha, yes, sir, coming right up. Like, in fact, not even, just go and get it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not your job to change anyone's mind or to shape anybody's opinion. It's your job to effectuate somebody else. And that skill set, that, that ability, that capacity, that gifting is so valuable to God. It makes you a son. That's what I want. That, that's, that's what I want. That's uh, once in a while. It doesn't happen often in the church. Praise the Lord. I run to somebody who would like to honestly probably do, do this. Talk <laughs> like on Sunday mornings. Good God, you have no idea what you want. <laughs> what I would like is to go to another church where I get to set the chairs and wrap the cables I'm not, I don't, I'm not kidding. Like, that's what, if, if, like, if, like, we're at a conference and there's, like, a guest speaker and, like, or a guest band and they get to do all the, like, all the stuff that people look at and think are really impressive and I can just, like, wrap the cables and, like, work the microphones and charge the batteries. Praise the Lord. Like, no joke. I'm, I'm completely serious. Praise the Lord. Because I, I, I don't, I don't, under, like, there is something about doing that and being content to that. And it's not like, well, if I do this for a few weeks, then maybe they'll notice me and they'll put me on the choir. That is not at all the mentality. That's not at all the mentality. The, the mentality is, this is the greatest place to be in the house of God, actually. Because this, being content doing this, is what makes me a son. It's what brings me into a, a, a relationship with God where I get to share in the inheritance 
of Jesus Christ. The best servants are always the ones that are closest to the master. It's also true in the secular world. When I was in school, one of my friends was interning at Goldman. And as part of her internship, she, uh, uh, as an intern, actually, she's a very impressive young lady. She, as an intern, she was working on this project that ended up uh, being a big deal to the bank. And so um, near the end of her internship, she actually went up to make a presentation about it to a bunch of the executives, including um, the CEO at the time, Lloyd Blankfein. And so she went up to the CEO's office, and it was on the top floor of this gigantic tower, and very fancy, and you know, very, very fancy. She went to make the presentation, and, and, um, and came back, and she was, t she was like, oh, you know, I've been to the CEO's office. I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And she was like, you know, so interesting. You know, she's like, you know who has the best views in, in, in the entire company? It's not the CEO, it's not the CFO, it's not the vice president, it's the CEO's assistants. He has five assistants, or he did back then when it was Lloyd Billing Fund. He had five assistants. This guy is a very busy man. He needed five people to keep him, you know, on track. He had five assistants, they're all very capable people. And he says, so on the top floor of Goldman, there's a CEO's office, which takes up part of the floor, and there's a conference room and things like that. And outside the CEO's office, on the rest of the floor, it's not the other executives. They don't sit up there. It's the five assistants. Like, th they sit right next to the CEO. And, and he has his office right there, and he shouts out, and, you know, one of them, you know, whatever, change this meeting, do that thing, grab my coffee, get my lunch. Like, whatever it is that he needs. And, 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 and they do it. And if he needs to fire someone, usually his assistant sends the, you know, the termination letter. And if he needs his lawyer on the phone, then you know, the assistants grab the lawyer. And when the assistants talk, it's like the CEO talks. I mean, if you get called up by the CEO's assistant, I mean, you should assume that it's the CEO talking, essentially. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's not that, it's, I mean, if you say, nah, I mean, why should I listen to you? The CEO's going to be like, you know, and you're going to be fired. Like, this is the entire point. There's something about servanthood that is very interesting. It brings you into much greater intimacy with the person that you're serving than being a leader under them. And if we don't appreciate this, then I, I think we, we miss a lot of the beauty of servanthood. It is not a stepping stone to something greater. It, it's, it's, it's not like I'll do these off-Broadway shows until I become a Broadway star. It, no, it's, 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 this is it. Like, it, this, is, this is the thing. This is, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way to being close to God. This is the way to being a son. This is the way to, to having a, a closest with him and a relationship with him unlike anything else in the entire world. And being a senator or a congressman or a governor or a president will not do it for you. Being a servant of God will. Being an apostle will not do it for you. Being a prophet will not do it for you. Being a treasurer or administrator, nothing, it will not do it for you. Being a servant of God is the only way to get close to him like this where you become friends. And the question is, is that a beautiful enough thing that you would admire great servants? when you see them. Is that a beautiful enough thing that you would admire someone who serves well? As part of our Homeward Conference next year, which is for missionaries, you know, we have a category called mission support staff, which Sydney and I were discussing the other day. What is mission support staff? Mission support staff is, is essentially a servant. It's someone who's not a missionary, but what they do is so important to missions that the missionary can't do what the missionary is going to do without them. And not all missions organizations have this because, especially smaller organizations, you know, like you know, different duties. You just do everything. You know, you answer phones and you you fix trucks and you. But the, but big, um, big missions organizations have these things. I remember um, years ago, 
uh, uh, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry was, was, was doing this thing, and I can't remember exactly who was, who was telling the story, but they were honoring uh, one of the members of their team who was a, a guy that nobody had ever heard of. I think his name was Earl or something like that. You know, Earl is the, um, is the anti-Karen. You know, it's the name of the guy that works hard and doesn't need attention. It's the anti-Karen. Okay, anyways. So I think his name was Earl. I don't know if his name was actually Earl. It may have been John, for all I know. I don't remember. Um, because he's never been featured in any publication. He's never been on a video. He's never been part of a fundraising letter. His, his picture's not on the website. But Earl's job, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry, in case you don't know who he is, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry is to run gigantic um, crusades all throughout Africa. And his ministry, when he was alive, he's with the Lord now, I, I think saw something like 60 million salvations from his preaching. People that saw him preach live and, and signed a decision card giving their, uh, 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 turning their life to Jesus Christ. And, and they do these gigantic crusades. And sometimes the large ones, a million people will show up. Well, if you know anything about event planning, you know that having a million people be a part of an event is not an easy thing. Where will they use the bathroom? How will they hear? How will they see? And so gigantic speakers, which require a lot of actually audio engineering to tune correctly so that they don't overlap and create distortions and things like that. And then lights and, and, and images and bathrooms and golf carts. And I mean, it's a huge thing. In order to do million man meetings, they have to drain swamps and fill in areas. And I mean, having flat land that a million people can stand on, it's not that easy. Building a stage and projecting video and cameras and power, I mean, it's a challenge. So there's a guy on their team named Earl. Again, is this his real name? I don't know. But let's say his name is Earl. Okay. And, and his job is um, if a governor or mayor allows Reinhardt's ministry to go in, it is his job to go in first to make sure that the crusade can happen. And so sometimes a year, sometimes six months, sometimes three months, however long it is in advance, he'll go to the area where they're going to have the crusade. And usually when he's gone, there's no roads, there's no helicopters, there's no, like, do you understand? So he's got either a motorcycle or a truck, and he's driving over the, this wilderness in Africa, which if you've been in the mission, I mean, you know what it's like. There's not paved cement roads, not I-95, do you know? And you're on these, like, little dirt roads, like, in, there's no lights, there's nothing, and, and sometimes there's a gigantic hole that your truck can't go through, and so you have to build a mobile bridge, you know, to get your truck across, and then you've got to tear down the bridge and bring the bridge with you, because you might need it again. And sometimes you're fording rivers, and sometimes you're, like, I mean, it's like difficult work and you get there and you like do the engineering work and you do the assessments and you like estimate the cost and you hire the local vendors and you like build a flat land and you set up bathrooms and staging and lights and bring equipment and crews and all these different things and then nine months or 12 months or whatever it is right here bonky comes and they do the crusade and Earl has lived sometimes in a tent, sometimes in a motel, sometimes in the middle of nowhere, sometimes under the stars for three months or six months or nine months along with a team of other people and they cook in the wilderness, and they eat canned beans, and all this stuff. And, and, and so what? So that Reinhardt can come for a weekend, and a million people can get saved. Hello? When a million people get saved, who gets all the credit? Who gets all the fame? I mean, hopefully Jesus, but in reality, Reinhard Bonnke. And that's not Reinhardt's fault. He's not a bad man. He's a good man. He's, he's not arrogant. He's not, he, I've met him once. I found him to be quite humble. And every time I listen to him talk, I, he's a lover of Jesus. He's a good man. It's not his fault, but he is the leader. He is the, the, the image behind the behind the, the thing, like he is, right? Okay, but Earl's job is just as important as Reinhardt's. And Earl could not be good at his job, I'm thinking of his name, Earl could not be good at his job if he were not content doing it. If his hope was one day to be the man on the stage, he could never do a good job with what his job is. But if he doesn't do his job, then nobody can do their jobs. Is that, 
Make any sense? And, and there's something that you have to get this. In order to be Earl, see, Earl, it moves my heart. I love Earl. I don't know him, but I love him. You know, like, I don't look, I don't know him, but I look up to him. I don't know him, but I know that throughout history, the church moves forward on the backs of people like Earl. And here's the thing. Earl, because of what he does and because of what he's done for the kingdom and because of the attitude that he's done it with. Again, I've never met the guy. I've only heard his story like twice or once, or I don't even remember. Like, but there's something about about what he does that, is, that, that we miss today in our part of the world, in the kingdom. About 10 years ago, I was in, uh, on, on vacation with my family in, in Mexico. It was in Playa del Carmen. And, and uh, uh, it was over Christmas. And on Christmas, I think it was Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, there was a big, I think it was a big football game. And the hotel put it on a big screen uh, for the Americans to come and drink beer and watch football. And, um, and the, uh, there was, uh, the way the hotel is constructed, it's kind of like a wind tunnel, which is good when you want to breeze and it's hot. But it's not good when you have a gigantic screen and that people are trying to watch football. And so the screen was flippity fly, because this is a sail in the wind, you know. I mean, it's a big, it's a sail is essentially what it is, okay? And so it's flippity flapping in the wind and it's just about to blow over and it's got the projector and it's, you know, whatever. It's just like, and, 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 and there's, there's a guy there on their staff, his name is Pedro. You like him already. Um, and, and Pedro, I love Pedro. So Pedro, you know, served us and he, and, and, and he you know, hand out beverages and stuff. And Pedro is the sort of guy that, like, you go to these hotels and you would think, they have 500 people on staff. You know, how are you going to, like, how are you going to notice? But here's the thing. It's, it's pretty incredible that, like, not trying to notice anyone and no one standing out, nobody promoting themselves whatsoever, the people that serve better just stand out. They just stand out. And Pedro, I mean, the, all the people there were nice because you have to be nice to work at one of these, you know, high-end resorts. But Pedro, there's something just extra about him. Pedro had riz. Okay? And, and he was a hard-working guy. He was very strong. And on this day, I kid you not, it was not his job to do it. It could not possibly have been his job to do it because there's no way that this is part of his job description. But when Pedro saw the screen flapping around and all the Americans trying to watch their football and be disappointed by the fact that the screen was flapping around, Pedro went behind the screen, he held his arms up, and he steadied the screen until the game was over. It was not his job. It was not his job. He was not paid for it. He was not tipped for it. But, but, but do you understand? And it's not the sort of thing that people just do. It's the sort of thing that you do when you've devoted your entire life to figuring out how to serve other people. And God is looking for us to have that attitude towards him and towards the people that he's given to us to serve because there are some on the earth. It's very easy to say, that's not my job. It's very easy to say, those are spoiled Americans. It's very easy to say, it's just a football game. It's easy to say, why does that thing have to be like a sale? Why does that have to be so much wind? It's not my fault. The weather. It, it, but you could also be the guy that just go up there and you hold the screen because it's not your job, but you are a servant. And that is very valuable. Because there are some people that are so snobby and so spoiled that they don't notice it. But I'm telling you, most good-hearted people, when they see that, will realize there's something truly special about men and women that live that way. It's more than just, oh, you're going to the train station, I'll drop you off. It's more than just, oh, you're coming over for dinner, I'll order something for you too. Like, like those nice gestures are good, but there's a step further. There's something, there's something else that comes out of a human heart when you've devoted your entire life, when you've devoted your entire life 
to wanting nothing more and to being nothing more than just a good servant of his. There are a lot of Christian ministries that devoted themselves to training up Christian leaders. God doesn't need very many of them. Yes, you need some decision makers in the body of Christ, about one in a thousand. Yes, you need some risk takers in the body of Christ, about one in a hundred. You need everybody to be a good servant. Everybody to be a good servant. And that's the, the, what causes the kingdom to move forward, is not great centurions, it's great servants. I'm gonna read this story, Matthew 7, in a moment. It, it's not the great centurions, it's the great servants that, that have devoted themselves to being nothing more than the barista, and being nothing more than the guy that holds the screen. Because that draws the attention of the master. Do you know? What I would like nothing else, like, like I, 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 I kid you not, like, <laughs> This, what I do here on Sunday mornings, is the least important part of my job in this ministry. The thing that I spend most, I, I tell people who ask, I spend about zero minutes of my week figuring out what I'm gonna say on Sunday mornings, because it's not that important to me, frankly. No, what is very important to me is how we are going to serve the people that God has given us, to, and if you know, even you know this is true. What's very important to me is how we are going to serve the people that God has asked us to serve. And I would like to spend as much of my time as possible doing that. How do we serve the students that God has given us to, to try to reach? How do we serve the missionaries that God has asked us to support? How do we serve, do you and you, our members, like, you know, in the way that God has asked us to do that. Like, how do we do that? That is what consumes, not, the, honestly, whatever. You get something out of sermon, you don't get something out of sermon, do I care? I mean, I do, but not that, not enough, okay. Romans 12. In Romans 12, Paul makes a list of various types of grace that exist in the body of Christ. Am I over time? I am. So I'm going to just try to wrap this up really quickly. Romans 12, Paul gives a list of some of the different types of grace that exist in the body of Christ. Verse 3, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Different types of grace now. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, uh, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Different types of grace, Paul says, in the body of Christ. You read the different categories? Being a leader is one category of grace that exists in the body of Christ. It's not wrong to be a leader. It's not wrong to want to be a leader. It, that's not wrong. Hello? That's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's good. However, being a servant, I mean, there's different categories of grace here. Not everybody has the grace to be like the best servant ever, okay? Like, you really have to want it. You gotta go after God. You gotta pray for it. You gotta seek God for it. It has to consume you, your desire to serve well. But if it does, then God will allow you to step into the grace to serve. He'll allow you this grace to just be super attentive, to notice things that nobody else will notice, to remember things that nobody else will remember, to see things that other people don't see. For what? For what? For the end of not being promoted, for the end of being able to serve better. And it's only some people have it. If you ask 
you know, general managers of, of the great hotels, the hotels that charge, you know, $1,500 a night for you to stay there, they will tell you that, they're, that like hiring great staff is very difficult. If you have a union, it won't happen, period, the end. But if you don't have a union, you have a hope. And, and you, what you'll do is you'll interview 10 and you might find one. You'll interview 100 and you might find five. Genuine warmth, genuine devotion to people is so exceedingly rare, you can't pay people $200,000 a year to do it. It's very hard to find that trait, very hard. And if you find that trait, there's something about it that will move your guests, that will move your customers so much, they will spend as much money as it costs to stay at your hotel because that's what they want to experience. They want to experience that type of service, not snobby service, not I have to do it so I'm doing a service, not I'm gonna do it so that you'll tip me service, but people that serve because there's something in them that is fulfilled by serving. And that's supposed to be every one of us. Like all of us, every single one of us, that's supposed to be all of us, all of us. And, and you know what? You don't get to do this unless you really want, like, unless you're special, like, you know, unless you're special and you have the grace or you beg God and fast and, and pray and, 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 you know, and, and give up all of your money and give up all your time, you know, like, you don't get to be a good servant. It's, it's like the skills and the anointing that it takes, like, that's not free. You got to go after that. And if you go after that, there's something that's going to happen in your life about you that will make you deeply attractive to people. People want to invest in you. People want to like, build you up. People want to invest in your career. People will do whatever it takes like, like, to, to help you grow. And help you. There's some, it's magical, y'all. It's absolutely magical. And, and it's part of what God has given us to do. Matthew 7, and then we're going to be done. All right, I have to read this story because how can you not when you talk about this topic? You all know the story. You all love the story. We're going to read it and then done. 7-5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Why does a centurion care so much about his servant? Hello? Why does a centurion, think about this, why is it that the centurion cares so much about his servant that he has gone out of his way to go petition Jesus to heal him? He cares so much about his servant being well that he's gone out of his way to go petition Jesus to heal him. That's a powerful story right there in and of itself. A leader of a hundred who cares so much about one sheep that, that he's going to go to, because his sheep is sick to go get healing. That may seem like, oh, he must be a great centurion. Yes, on the one hand, but no. Like, yes, he's, y yes. But on the other hand, it's also the power of the attractiveness of a, of a good servant. Do you know? That's what people are willing to do for you when you serve well. And he said to him, verse seven, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I said to one, go and he goes, and to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. And Jesus heard this and he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom we throw into the outer darkness in that place to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he said to the centurion, go, let it be done for your views believed. And in that moment, the servant was healed. In that very moment, the servant was healed. Imagine this. You are such a good servant of Jesus that whatever, when you get healed, Jesus goes to the father and says, heal my servant because he's sick. Imagine this. When you are poor, Jesus goes to the Father and says, provide for my servant, because he needs provision. 
When you need a job, Jesus goes to the Father and says, open a door for my servant. Because, do you understand? Like, the, like, do you understand what is going on? The centurion is asking on his servant's behalf before God for him. The, he's not petitioning on behalf of another centurion. He's petitioning on behalf of someone who is drawn near to him that he cares for, not just because he's a good leader, but because his servant is a good servant. This is power, this is like, that's really powerful. Like, I want to be such a good servant. I want to be such a good servant of God. This is like an ambition, you know? I want to be such a good servant of God that my career is his business more than is my business. That my finances are his business more than is my business. That my health is his business just as much as my, my business. If I get sick, will I pray? Of course I will. But, but I want, uh, I, 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 I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound, uh, whatever, uh, who cares what I said. Okay. If I get sick, I want Jesus to care. Does that not just in the Jesus kind and merciful kind of care. Do you know, like there is that, and of course he does that. But I want him to care in the, this person means something special to me kind of way, care. Do you know? And I don't think that comes from being a good apostle. I think that comes from being a good servant. So, I want to encourage you. Gotta be done, gotta be done. I want to encourage you to be content in your life, to never being present of anything. Do you know what I mean? I want to encourage you to be content in your life with being the guy that is cleaning the bathroom eight hours a day to feed his family. I, there are very few people that would look up to him and say, you know, what a, what a general of the faith, okay? Uh, our, our modern Christian culture it does not arrange itself to look up to people of that sort. But I don't know if you've spent a lot of time with people that don't have worldly ambition and all they want is just to live right before God. They're more common uh, among the poor than they are among the rich. It, I mean, you just won't find it here, really, um, unless you're very lucky. But among the poor, sometimes you'll find people that no ambition in life. They're not trying to raise a million dollars. They're not trying to build a big ministry. They just want to be faithful for God. And I don't know if you've ever prayed with one of them or let them open their mouth and pray with you in the room. Lord have mercy. It, like, it's something, it's, it's really special. And these are nobodies. Like, just nobody in the eyes of the world. But to God, they're good servants of his because they climb mountains and take the gospel to villages and feed the poor. And, and, and with no uh, ambition in their heart for greater recognition for a YouTube channel, for, you know, whatever else. No, no ambition in that. Just, just, just every day doing what's right before the Lord. And there is an intimacy, there's a closeness, there's a nearness, there's a grace that you can't pay for. Can't buy it. You can only get it if you and I always find some ambition in myself that I've tried to get rid of. But, but if, if you are willing to take all that ambition and empty it and just say, it does not matter if my life amounts to nothing in this world. I want to be the guy that if Jesus comes knocking at 3.30 in the morning, that I am awake. First knock, I am awake. Lord, what is your will? What do you have to say? Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Because of the demographic that you are, 
many of you are probably called by God to be leaders. There's nothing wrong with being a leader, as I said. It's a grace. It's important. Body of Christ needs it. But it's a real shame when you learn how to be a leader before you learn how to be a servant. It's a real shame. Um, because you think that being a leader is really important. It makes you important. It doesn't. But if you learn how to be a leader, a servant first, and you'll be content in that place, then God can lift you to be a centurion or a governor or a banker or a lawyer or engineer or a congressman or whatever else. It doesn't really matter. But, but if you can be content to be the guy cleaning the bathroom because God wants you to clean the bathroom, if you can be content to be that guy forever, then God could, if he wants to, if he chooses to, it's his, it's his, it's, it's his plan. Then he, but then he could, if he wanted to, lift you to wherever he wants to lift you, and you could be just as useful to him in that place. But if you're five years old, and your entire you know, identity is, I'm going to be president one day, uh, first of all, you're not going to make a very good president. And second of all, even if you were to be president, you're not going to be very useful to God. When I was young, the first movie that my parents ever bought me was Lion King. And you remember The Lion King? When he's young, he's saying, you know, um, I'm going to be king. What was that song? I'm going to be king one day. Just, want, just can't wait to be king. Oh, Janet knows the song very well. <laughs> just can't wait to be king, you know. And, um, and that bird, I forget his name. Um, he's the funniest line in the song. is, If you're going to be king, he says, count me out. You know, out of service, out of Africa, I'm not going to hang about. And it's the funniest line in the entire song. I, I, I love that bird. Um, uh, and, and I actually I love that song because when I was a kid, that was very much, like, I very much resonated with that. I just can't wait to be an adult, you know? I can't wait to have my own credit card. I can't wait to have money on my own. I can't, you know, and, and I, as, as spiritual children, sometimes we feel that way. I can't wait to be king. But you totally misunderstand what that is. And of course, the Lion King is he goes through a journey, so he's worthy of being king. That's, you know, the story. But, um, but we have that sentiment, you know, and, uh, and, and one day you will be king or whatever, whatever it is that God has called you to. Um, my hope is that before you get to that place, you learn the, um, you walk into the things that are really valuable about being a, a, a servant. And even if you are king one day, that you would stand before God the way that David said, and you would say the things that, that David said, your, your servant, O Lord, desires to hear your voice, your servant, O Lord, waits for you. Like, like you know, the things, that, the things that David would say about himself. Um, uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful life. Next time you find somebody serving well, and honestly, it's not most of the waiters <laughs> in the city. Um, uh, but, but sometimes, from time to time in life, you will really find someone who serves well. And when you find that, I would encourage you to see that as being truly valuable, as being something to admire, something that is as admirable as being a great evangelist or a great prophet or a great apostle, because God sees it that way. All right, when you stand, we'll um, ask Emily to come back up with her band and close out today. Father, thank you for who you are, for how good you are to us, for the wonderful things that you have in store for us. Thank you, God for the beauty of the low things, the lowly things that we could aspire to in this life. Thank you for making a way for us to be just like you and to draw closer to you day by day. And thank you, God, that we don't have to strive or strain to be anyone 
of value to the world. That you are pleased with us when we serve you well. Father, I pray that you would make us a people that are warm and attentive and eager and hardworking as you desire for good servants to be. I pray that you would do that in us, God. And I pray, Lord, that that would be enough for us, that it would be enough for us for you to look upon us and just rejoice in the way that we serve you, in the way that we serve the people that you've given to us. Thank you, Father. Change our hearts, Lord, to the extent that they need to be changed. Change our hearts, Lord, and baptize us, God, in you, in your truth, in your love, in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.